When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When a serious crime is committed in a small town, a handful of detectives are charged with solving the case. I'm Yardley, and I'm fascinated by these stories. So I invited my friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to help me gather the best true crime cases from around the country and have the men and women who investigated them tell us how it happened. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins from small town USA. Dave investigated sex crimes and crimes against children. He's now a patrol sergeant at his police department. Dan investigated violent crimes. He's now retired. Together, we have more than two decades experience and have worked hundreds of cases. We've altered names, places, relationships, and certain details in these cases to maintain the privacy of the victims and their families. So we ask you to join us in protecting their true identities as well as the locations of these crimes out of respect for everyone involved. Thank you. Today on Small Town Dicks, we have the usual suspects. We have Detective Dave. Good morning. Good morning. And we have Detective Dan. Good morning. Good morning. Dan is bringing us a case today that we've alluded to before. It's about the murder of Officer Chris Kilcullen. And we have made the decision in this episode to say his full name because it's important to all of you here today who have been personally touched by this murder, that Chris is never forgotten. And also, in so doing, we mention locations in this episode. So, with that, Dan, why don't you start by telling us a little bit who Chris was in law enforcement? So, Chris Kilcullen worked for our neighboring agency, Eugene Police Department. And Chris Kilcullen's name resonated through local law enforcement because he had this reputation that he was the nicest cop ever. And it made him famous. Everybody knew who Chris was. I knew his face. I had never met the man, but I was aware of who Chris Kilcullen was. And Dan, this is a case that you said you would never talk about until everybody who has been closely affected by it was also present and ready to talk about it. And today is that day. Correct. Um, this is a case that Dave and I were both pretty heavily involved in. Although we had quite different roles at the beginning of it, we ended up next to each other. And it was a really important day in my career and my life now. Worst day in my life. So here we go. So today we have Christy, who is Chris's widow. Good morning. Good morning. And we have retired Lieutenant Bills, who was Chris's colleague from Chris's police agency. Yeah, hello. Thank you for being here. And we have Officer Risco, who is Chris's partner at his police agency. Glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Welcome, guys. All of you. And Christy, I didn't want to talk about this case until I knew that you were on board. And 
I know today is not going to be easy for you. Yeah. So I want to talk about Chris. I welcome talking about Chris. It was very important to me, and it still is, to make Chris proud. Let's talk about him. I love it. It keeps him alive. He was just one of those names that every cop, even if you didn't know him, you'd heard of him. And I know how well he was respected and how much his coworkers enjoyed working with him. He's the type of traffic cop that will give you a ticket and then you end up calling the police department to tell the police, thank you and how nice your officer is. <laughs> Honest to God. Absolutely. That was his reputation. Everyone liked him. That's so cool. So Dan and Dave, tell us how this case came to you. It was April 22nd, 2011. And I was working swing shifts, so that was 3 to midnight. And I was on patrol. So was Dave. We were on the same shift, which I enjoyed. Because we had like four out of five days we worked together. It's kind of nice because, you know, we share a boat. So (laughs) we tried to match up our weekends so we could maximize uh, leisure and recreation activities on our weekends. Nothing to do with being able to watch each other's back. Well, (laughs) it's that too, but primarily it was the boat. Yeah. So I was... Pretty close to the station, actually. Just starting my shift. I'm driving toward a freeway, Highway 126 slash 105. So I-5 actually separates our town from our neighboring agency. I'm about a mile from I-5, and I'm northbound when I hear on the radio from the neighboring agency that a motorcycle officer is in pursuit of a vehicle. Station one units for information, EPD is involved in a pursuit eastbound 105 from the parkway standby for further 23 so the beginning of that radio traffic you hear our dispatch air that eugene pd is in pursuit of someone on the freeway heading east into our city through springfield and the next thing you hear is officer james who's now detective james james rightly says i'm clear and i'm heading that way And then everybody that's working that day hears that over the radio. I was right next to the dispatcher when she said that. I was scheduled to have a ride-along that day. So I was in dispatch just waiting for that person to show up at the station. And I ran out to my car from the station and started heading east, trying to anticipate where I could intercept this. And that's just a, a mile and a half, two miles from the police station. So I remember knowing, okay, if I go get up on the freeway, I'm going to parallel them going down our main street, going eastbound, thinking at some point that freeway comes back to main street and maybe I can get ahead of them. So you know already from this message from your dispatch that the neighboring agency has tried to perform a traffic stop and the person they tried to perform the traffic stop on has taken off. Correct. Okay. And that's all you know? That's all we know. And in this situation, it's afternoon rush hour traffic heading out into the east part of our town, which is largely residential neighborhoods. That's where everyone is returning from work to go home. And this is a Friday. It was the first nice day of the year we'd had in April. The traffic is going to be thick. And pursuits are pretty rare. If you think about the number of traffic stops that police officers in our small little town do per day, we don't get a car chase every day. So a pursuit, it's a felony to elude the police by vehicle in our state, and pursuits are dangerous. And you also don't know, what are they running for? So we need to get police officers in places where we can block intersections so we're not having this person who's running from Officer Kilcullen possibly striking another vehicle, and now we've got a mess. So we're trying to get in a position where we can mitigate issues like collisions, we can get spike strips out to put an end to this pursuit. 22 of clear. Could I try and set up spikes on that? Affirm. So you heard that was an officer saying he wants to set up spikes. And dispatch says, go ahead and do that. Yeah. He gives a location. 126 And I recognize I'm actually pretty close to that. I was about a quarter of a mile away from the on-ramp to that freeway. There are going to be probably a mile and a half, two miles ahead of me. I can make up that distance pretty quick if traffic cooperates. Right. And that's a two-lane freeway in each direction, as I recall. Correct. 
And if somebody's in the left lane and somebody's in the right lane, there is nowhere to go. Yeah, there's nowhere for me to go. And especially if there's nobody in the right lane, the reason why we don't go over to the right lane to get around you is because by law, when I have my lights on, you're supposed to go to the right. So if I start to weave around them and then they comply with the law and get over, we might collide. So I stay in the left lane. I need you to get over to the right lane. There are some situations where you weave around somebody, but for the most part, your responsibility as a driver when I come behind you with emergency lights is to move over to the right and yield to me. Right. The reason why you don't hear me on the radio is because I was scanning EPD's station. I'm listening to updates from Officer Chris Kilcullen, motorcycle officer. What I know is that he was riding home eastbound on the freeway and this car, this maroon Skylark, had swerved at him trying to knock Officer Chris Kilcullen off of his bike, and they take off. Oh, so they never stop on the side of the road. They never stopped, and the chase is on. It's well known in our world, police world, at the end of your shift, put your blinders on because you're inevitably going to see something that's going to make you work two hours extra overtime. Yeah, and I had told him that morning, put your blinders on when you come home. Because we had planned all week that he would go to work early that day so he can come home early that day so we could go for a bike ride. We had two girls. And so I had worked that day and then went and picked them up from daycare and had them home waiting for him. Me and the girls were on our back deck. We live about 20 minutes away from Chris's agency. And um, like every law enforcement spouse, I had my cell phone by me. As part of motors, you're expected to ride your motorcycle to and from work, and your day starts when you hit the saddle, and it ends when you pull in and get off the saddle. So I asked him to put his blinders on because often he would be driving home and see something, expired tags or something, and he'd pull them over, and then, you know, we'd be late to doing whatever it is we had. And I really wanted to go for a bike ride. It was a gorgeous day. And so I'm like, put on your blinders when you come home. Okay, okay. This is kind of a window into the type of person Officer Chris Kilcullen is. His goal that day, like any other day, is just to drive home after work, be with his family. And here we have a situation where he's like, I can't let that go. In good conscience, I wouldn't be doing my job if I allowed that person to continue driving today. So he makes the decision, I'm chasing that person. Right. So I'm code three, I'm lights and sirens, and... Cars won't get out of the way for me. And I remember one woman who was in front of me. I came up behind her. She slowed down to about 45 miles an hour. Oh, dear. And I was hitting my air horn, which is really loud. Plus, I've got my siren on. And all I remember is the the silhouette that I saw from behind was she put her hands up like. She's throwing her hands like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I'm motioning with my hands because she's looking in the rearview mirror. I'm like, get over, get out of the way. You need to get out of the way. It was probably about 15 seconds to finally get over. It was infuriating. Even when I'm in a police car, I see emergency lights coming. I pull off to the side. Even though I'm like, I'm an emergency vehicle, I still pull off to the side of the road. If you think about an officer in pursuit on a motorcycle, He's not in a police car. I already know that this person's tried to knock him off the bike. So there's some urgency there. I want to get there so he can take number two in the pursuit and I'll take over. By number two, you mean you'll be out front and Chris can drop back to the number two position behind you. Yeah, because at least I've got some protection. If he falls off his bike going 75, 80, 85 miles an hour, that's not going to be good. So I continue on. I'm still listening to the radio traffic. Sounds like they took 52nd Street. Correction, they're still on 105 at 52nd. There's a red light. Does the driver stop at the red light? Yeah. They come to a stop at this intersection, and all of a sudden I'm not hearing updates anymore. I'm not hearing any updates from Chris. There's times where you get no updates. Dispatch will do like a status check on an officer and say, uh, you know, two out of 12 update and it's radio silence, if they do that two or three times and there is no update, I start thinking the worst. Like, oh shit, that officer is unable to even 
access his microphone to air information over the radio. So I remember at that point, I was not scared, but I was like, this is bad. Last we heard was 52nd at the red light. You know, I finally get past this person who wouldn't yield to me. And as I come through these S-curves that are kind of a landmark in our area, it's kind of a location that we give out. If we're doing traffic stops on the freeway, we'll say, I'm in the S-curves. As I come through these S-curves, the road turns south. Uh, it's a big, long straightaway. As I exit those S-curves, I look, and traffic is backed way up, almost to the S-curves, which is completely out of the norm, even for heavy traffic. Both lanes? Both lanes, backed all the way up, hundreds of cars. There's nowhere for me to go. Traffic is at a dead stop. People aren't going to be able to move over because there's just no room. So I begin driving on the right shoulder of the road. So, you know, I've got two wheels on the pavement and I've got two on the gravel and my car's kind of tilted to the side because of the angle there. And I've got my siren on. I'm probably going 25 miles an hour. I've slowed way down. Do you have triple SAM set up at Main and 105? What's that, triple SAMs? Triple SAMs are spikes, spike strips. Vehicle should be a maroon Skylark. What's the plate? I got a red Buick Skylark southbound on Bob's drop. It's going pretty fast, passing people. That's Officer, now Detective James, who had left his traffic stop when he heard from our dispatch that there's a pursuit heading his direction. He leaves his traffic stop and then just goes a few blocks and waits because he's waiting to hear the next update. And we're not getting any updates. So he wisely just sat in place. And in speaking to him, he just went up to the next major intersection where this freeway ends. And he just sat there with the lights and sirens on, looking in the direction where this pursuit should be coming at him. And he, all he sees is one vehicle, no other traffic, and it's a maroon Buick Skylark. He starts asking for the license plate of the involved vehicle and confirms this is the vehicle that was involved in the pursuit. There is no motor officer pursuing anymore. So Detective James initiates a pursuit, and the pursuit heads southbound out of the city and heads out towards the uh, more rural area of our county. At that point, it's just James chasing suspect. It's interesting, that day, James had a civilian rider with him. Oh, my God. And it was a woman who was in our civilian police academy here at our police department. And... It's kind of the holy grail on a ride-along to get in a pursuit. Sure. So when you do, you're like, oh, my God, I hit the lottery. So James recalls that this woman was very excited before we understood the gravity of the situation, the circumstances. But most civilians don't understand the radio traffic that's going around. It's, it just sounds like sounds to them. And he would hear that in an earpiece, so his rider wouldn't necessarily get that over the radio. It would come over the radio, too. Like, we have an earpiece, but we also have a speaker inside the vehicle so you can hear these radio updates. So they might not recognize everything. You pick up, it's kind of like a foreign language. You might pick up a few words if you're not fluent in it. But James is dealing with this giddy rider in his passenger seat giving updates. And James was totally calm. You'll hear him on the radio traffic. He's really calm and poised. And the rest of us are trying to catch up. It looked like a white female adult. We're still going 70. Wearing a black shirt, heavy build, brown hair. Black shirt, heavy build, brown hair. There was possibly a gunshot heard. They don't know where it came from. This is at the scene of the accident. Just for info, they're not sure if the suspect vehicle shot. Copy. Continuing. 6570. Officer down, 5-2 in Maine. Officer down at 5-2 in Maine. People had begun calling 911. And that's how we got the officer down call. It wasn't from Chris. It was from a civilian. And we're behind the curve because 911 calls take a while for them to actually catch up to us. There's a delay, and a lot of stuff happens in 10 seconds. You can pick up from dispatch 
and the differing locations about how chaotic this is that we are hearing 52 and 105 and then officer down at 52 in Maine, which is different. They do intersect, but they don't intersect here. What do you mean? So there is an intersection of 52 in Maine in our city, but you've got to traverse some side streets, residential neighborhoods, neighborhoods to get to 52 in Maine. So it's the civilian probably who's giving the incorrect location. It's 52 in Maine when they mean 52 and 105. In my mind, I'd already said, I got to get to 52 in Maine. Because 52 in Maine comes after the intersection of 52 and 105. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, as I'm clearing past these cars on the shoulder of the road, I'm presented with this circumstance in front of me. And I just, I, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that I just wasn't ready for it. I heard 52 in Maine. So when I got to 52 and 105... I wasn't expecting to find Chris there. Oh, I see. It was like, what? what is this? This isn't right. Yeah. It's, he's supposed to be over at 52 in Maine. Which is how far from 52 and 105? Five minutes. But your expectation is, I'm not there yet. And then all of a sudden, you're met with this scene that you go, oh, no, no, this isn't, this can't be it. Yeah. As I make myself around these cars on the shoulder, as I I get to the intersection, I see Chris's motorcycle standing up with its kickstand down. And I see just to the left of his motorcycle is a flatbed semi, big rig trailer on it. And Chris is laying on his back. His head is right by one of the rear tires of the trailer of the uh, semi, and his left leg is down on the ground. He's flat on his back, and his right leg is still hung up on the motorcycle. Like he was dismounting, but he fell in the process. Yeah, and hadn't moved since. The other thing that I notice is that his gun is holstered. His gun is not in his hand. It seemed like things were in fast forward for me, and I pride myself on being prepared and I was not prepared for this. I'm out with the motor officer we're at 52 and 105 he's pinned under a truck. Kevin 52 and 105 pinned under a truck. That radio traffic right there is Dan. 11 is his designator that day and he's just now pulling up to the scene. So now we got multiple scenes right? And Dan I don't know if I've ever asked you this but when you pulled up at that point We've got information that there was a shot, possibly a shot fired at that scene at 52 and 105. Were there people out of their cars? I mean, I know your focus is on Chris, but what's the scene like? There were a handful, I don't know, five to no more than 10 people that were standing on the shoulder of the road. So these people are standing on the side of the road. As I pull up, I go running over to Chris and... A lot of people are yelling different things at me. She went that way. I hear a ton of stuff, but my again, my focus is on Chris at this point. Nobody's over with Chris. Nobody was over with Chris at this point. And uh, so I went over to Chris and brought his leg down off of the motorcycle Um, And what I'm looking at is I think that Chris fell off his motorcycle, but it's not making sense to me because I'm like, the bike is on its kickstand. He didn't crash. He didn't crash his motorcycle. His bike's on his kickstand. And there wasn't a whole lot of room right there, so I had to push Chris's motorcycle. Heavy as fuck. It was, (laughs) and it was big. Like, I mean, I don't ride motorcycles, but it's a, big piece of machinery and I had to move this thing so I had room to attend to Chris 11 he's not pinned uh, he's on his back um, code 3 medics obviously Kevin they have them in route so that was me updating I remember a lot of different voices coming from behind me and you know this is one of the hard things for me 
in dealing with this event is I feel like I made some mistakes really early on. How do you mean? Maybe not recognizing some things or maybe I missed something or someone actually told me something that day and I didn't hear it or I disregarded it because I was so focused on what the hell happened? What am I looking at? This doesn't make sense to me because I didn't see any blood. I didn't see any holes in his shirt. He just looked like he was asleep on the ground with his right foot up on his motorcycle. Was he wearing a vest? He was wearing a vest. We all wear vests. And, you know, at first it looked like his head was pinned under this trailer of this big tractor trailer rig. That's when I first saw it. As I got up closer to Chris, I could see that that wasn't the case. He was just really near that wheel. I was really, really underprepared for this. And that's a lot of the guilt that I deal with, even today. Obviously, I haven't heard this radio traffic in seven or eight years. And it's um, this is really difficult for me. Yes. Shortly after that, my old field training officer from when I was a, a newbie, Officer Rowe, she arrived and we started evaluating Chris. We have several witnesses and it's chaos. It's chaos at this scene with this officer down on the ground. There are motorists who are out of their cars and they're all screaming different stuff. One person says he got shot. But I'm looking at Chris and there's no blood. I don't see any holes in his uniform. And I'm like, where? I don't see where he got shot. Right. We started doing CPR on him and... We remove his vest, and that's the first time that I saw the wound. There was a bullet hole on the right side of his torso, underneath his armpit, just above where his vest would be, probably an inch above. Oh, no. We've talked about that wound on, on this podcast before. That is a, that's probably one of the worst places to get shot is right in that area, especially depending on the trajectory. If it's going to transverse your whole chest cavity, I knew he was in trouble and the panic. I mean, I was completely panicked because I did not want to fail. I didn't want to fail Chris and my brothers and sisters that work for Eugene. And I knew Chris was married. That's the one, like, just if I could ever save one life, can it please be this one? I felt so bad at that point that I had wasted 15 or 20 seconds not finding this bullet hole. Um, I know it's messed up. These are the things you think about after, after all these years. I was so afraid to fail. I was so... I didn't want to fail. And while I was working on him... Um, you know, I've talked about this in uh, the Mother's Day episode. And obviously, every time I talk about this case, I, this is what I become. And I'm glad it hurts because it means that I care. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't want to fail. Sure. And I could see while I was, while I was working on him, I could watch the color drain out of him. And I knew that he was that he was dying. Station 11, our officer here does have a gunshot wound. CPR in progress on the officer. Cabby. That is the moment that changed everything for me in this pursuit. When you're doing CPR, that person is not breathing and there's no pulse. They are dead. And you're trying to bring it back to life. Right kind of trying to overcome God and to hear your brother on the other end of the radio giving that was the worst moment in my police career. I was punching the ceiling of my police car, trying to get it out like, God damn it. This person just killed a police officer with the hope I hope CPR works. 
And I had that moment for maybe 10 or 15 seconds. And then it was business again. And I'm back in it. Let's go. Let's catch up to this person. Because now I know that our rules of engagement have completely changed. CPR in progress. Code 3 medics at 52105. Affirmative. They're en route. Pulling up. They're just pulling up now. When the medics showed up, and we had been working on Chris for a little while, and uh, a civilian had come over to assist. She had, um, she was a healthcare professional. I uh, want to say she was a nurse in the ER. So she had experience dealing with trauma. Um, and if she was standing in front of me today, I wouldn't know what she looks like. But uh, thank you. Thank you for being there. But uh, when the medics... When the fire department arrived, they worked on Chris, but then they scooped him up pretty quick and they put him on a gurney and took off to the hospital. And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to be okay because the medics have him and they're on the way to the hospital. He's going to be okay. And uh, by then, detectives had started arriving and Eugene Police Department officers had started arriving at our location. Detective Justin had shown up and I'm listening to the radio traffic that James is giving out and eventually Dave. And Justin came up to me and he said, you and your brother know those roads where this pursuit is going better than any of us. He said, I will stay here. You go catch up to that pursuit. And that's all I needed to hear. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey folks, Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360-degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe home security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break-in. In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is Simply Safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. 
I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So, Officer Rowe stayed behind, and I drove like a bat out of hell, trying to catch up to this pursuit. How far behind were you? Miles. He's probably 15 minutes behind us. But, you know, I'm hearing all these roads that James is calling out while he's updating this pursuit. And it's given me an idea of, okay, if they're going 80 miles an hour and they're at this road, this is going to be some crazy driving. Because I know how much ground I have to make up, and this is not a straight stretch. While all this other stuff is going on miles away where Dan and Roe and Justin are, my mind's on my brother, who I just heard say that he was doing CPR on a police officer. And the other part is I want to catch up to James in this pursuit because we need to arrest this person. We need to get this person off the street. So James is there with this ride-along. James' letter tells the story that as this situation grows more and more tense during this pursuit, as more information is coming out, that this civilian rider with him is starting to realize, oh shit, this is bad. And James tells the story as if he's trying to also take care of his rider, like, Take deep breaths, like calm down. Do you want air conditioning on or do you want your window down? I need to keep the windows up because there's so much dust coming up from this pursuit and it's too loud with the wind, but do you want me to turn the air conditioning on? He's multitasking big time. (laughs) And James continues airing this pursuit and we are trying to play catch up. And thankfully, suspect takes this road that borders the north side of a series of reservoirs. So reservoir, dam, next reservoir, and it kind of inches its way down out of the mountain range to the valley. This road, maybe seven miles of it is paved and then abruptly turns to gravel. And then from then on, it's clearly, this is a logging road. There are potholes that are four and a half feet wide by 18 inches deep. This is a horrible road, and we're in Crown Victorias, (laughs) Ford Crown Victorias. Uh, It's not ideal. She's in a Buick Skylark. Suspects lead in the chase, and eventually we get a train of police cars behind her. And the terrain on this road, much of this terrain is uphill. So you're going up the hill. To the right is all downhill. There are no guardrails, and it's in some places a 200-foot drop down to the water. So downhill, not like downhill, you can drive it. Almost a cliff. Got it. Right. I mean, it's so severe that if your vehicle went over the edge, you wouldn't stop it until you hit the lake. Finally, we get up so far into these hills that I'm noticing that James's radio is starting to be spotty. His radio starts getting garbled, and that's right as I catch up to this pursuit. And I remember there's a county unit in front of me. We've got an Oak Ridge officer James, suspect, and right behind me is an Oregon State Police Trooper. And I know it's an Oregon State Police Trooper because they have the coolest lights. (laughs) So we're driving. I'm behind this train of cars. It's really dusty. And I've got such a cloud of dust in front of me, I have no idea where the road is. And do you not have compasses in your cars? You can tell I'm going north, east, southwest. We do. It's up on the mirror. But I can't stress enough how treacherous this driving was. I was never going to look at the mirror because I'm so focused on the taillights in front of me and making sure that they stay level and not disappear. Like disappear like they went off the side of the mountain. Okay. 
there are so many roads that branch off in these different directions and some of them go up two miles, some of them go up 20 miles. And I didn't have any cars in front of me. And so the only thing that I've got going for me in catching up is now they've slowed down quite a bit. They're going at times 30 miles an hour and I'm looking at my speedometer and I'm going 95, 100 on the straightaways. I remember, I remember I came up to, it was a pretty hard left and I'm looking down to the right and you know how I am with heights. Yes. Not my favorite. (laughs) There's a drop off to the right that goes down to this reservoir. It's at least a hundred feet. Probably not going to survive that. So I started braking and I didn't slam on my brakes because I knew if I slammed on my brakes, the back end's going to break loose. And I'm probably going to just slide right off the side of this road and I'm going to be swimming. Hopefully. Hopefully swimming. (laughs) You mean hopefully swimming versus falling down the mountain head over heels, smashing onto rocks. Yeah. Right. And I got to a point where as I was turning, I, I felt the front tires weren't completely getting a purchase to make this left. I was sliding. I was sliding off of this road. And... I swear, I swear to it today, it felt like the hand of God pushed my car back onto the road. Pushed the back of my vehicle and said, okay, I'm going to help you go left here. And that's when I said, if you crash, you're not going to ever catch up. You got to slow down. You got to slow down a little bit. Make it up where you can. So straightaways, that's where we're going to make this up. In the turns, we're going to slow down make sure that we navigate these safely. If I crash and I get really injured, now we're splitting forces. People are going to have to attend to me. The thing that I learned the most when I was going through, you know, our driving courses, you can drive as fast as you want, but if you crash, you're never going to get there. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) What I'm thinking about now is I want to be with my brother to catch up with my brother. So we've got four different agencies now involved in this pursuit. We've got our state police, we've got us, and we've got our county sheriff's office. And we have a tiny town that's way up in the woods called Oak Ridge. They've joined the pursuit too. Four different agencies on the radio. On their own channels. On their own channels. And, you know, I don't have Oak Ridge's channel. I've got our county sheriff's office. I don't have the state police because they're on a different system. And some of these people, their radios aren't working either. So at some point, I hear Dave start calling the pursuit. And Dave does a really good job. James, his radio completely cuts off. So I start calling this pursuit. And I remember being so turned around that I had no idea which way was which. But I knew that I had to give landmarks for the people that were coming up behind me so they would know how far behind the front of the train is. So that's why I'm giving landmarks like we just passed this gate or there's a tree falling across the road, big sweeping right turn, like something that I'm hoping that when people get to it, they'd be like, okay, that's where we're at. And I must be four or five minutes behind this pursuit right now. It was amazing. These landmarks that he was picking out. 12, just past a large stump on the left side of the road. Large stump, left side of the road the fuck is he talking about a stump of course there's a fucking stump it's in the middle of the fucking woods and then you're like oh there's a stump <laughs> continuing up the hill continuing up the hill just passed under the power lines under power lines and it's just for information we're hearing that road 5826 may be a dead end over osp's monitor just for info wilson you copy this might be a dead end is that the road you're on yeah. 12, I got OSP behind me, so there's going to be six units. And OSP is confirming 5826 is a dead end. Continuing up the hill, very tight, very slick, speed 40. 12, continuing, more potholes, be careful. So Dan's designator in that radio traffic is 11, and I'm 12. 12, continuing up, continuing up the hill, just past the Y in the road with a green gate. Continue forward. Somebody continuing up the hill, passing the green gate. 12, we just passed the large tree that's cut. Somebody passing the large tree that's cut. 
Station one to units, 1249. In our area, it's 1249 is, that's official. It's when you pronounce someone dead. When that came over the radio, and when I hear it on this recording, it's like a wave that goes over my whole body. Hearing those words, 1249. Even today. Even today, it's, uh, I'm not doing well today. You're doing great. Thank you. It has that same effect on me. You get the full body goosebumps, not in a good way. And then you get clenched like lockjaw, like where you're trying to eat tears, not let them come out. That's when I get when I hear that 1249. I also get it when I hear Dan saying he's doing CPR. Every single time I listen to this. Every time. And I also need to comment on one thing. Our two dispatchers. Kim is the voice you hear. She says, station one to units, 1249. She's station one. Okay. She's the one who's giving out most of the updates. The other one is also Dawn. It's been on our podcast a few times. Dispatchers have a way of being very sterile and calm and monotone. And I know that they were both going through the same range of emotions that the rest of us were that day. And Kim and Don were absolute professionals and kicked ass that day on the radio. They have the ability to impact officers' state of mind just through their voice. And they were a comforting pair to have on the radio that day. To hear you say that, obviously, behind the scenes, they're going through the same range of emotions that you all are going through. I mean, it's not surprising, but it is certainly not evident in the way that she delivers the message. Right. And for our agency, Kim and or Don were the first ones to know that Chris had died. And they've got to prepare themselves to now disseminate that information to all of Chris's brothers and sisters in the Valley, in our county. And you hear us on the podcast when we talk about this stuff. We get the crackle in our voice. Kim gives us just the facts. Like, I'm sure that was torture for her to say that over the radio. And probably a huge nightmare for her. Never wanted to say that over the radio that an officer has died. And it's what I needed in that pursuit. I needed Kim and Dawn to be exactly what they were. Because also, you all are still in the middle of something that's highly critical. Yeah, and that's important to air to units because now we have a murderer who is on the run. And that changes the rules of engagement. Now you have a fleeing felon who just murdered somebody. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Twelve just past the road that veers off to the right. Veers to the right, continue straight. Passing around the veers to the right. And 12 is pretty tight up here. I've lost the mirror on the right side. So this tree branch was leaning into the road, and the car in front of me 
hit it and it knocked it back a little bit. And as it was coming down, I remember driving past in this tree that's just, it's a sapling, leans over and takes off my right rear view mirror. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to have to write a fucking memo for that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just damaged my car. Damn it. So suspect runs out of road and we're on this logging landing that's gravel. To the left is uphill. It's already been logged, a large area. This has been logged, so there's tree stumps everywhere. If she goes straight, you're into the woods. She's going to make it about 10 feet. To the right is downhill, and that's been logged as well. So there's nowhere to go. And now the train of police cars that hadn't quite caught up to the pursuit or were within a few hundred yards caught up. We're stopped. You sound sort of chipper. We're stopped. When I said we're stopped, it was because I'm on my way out of my car. It's honestly like I'm putting it in park, opening the door, got the mic in my hand, and I'm literally saying we're stopped because I'm trying to get out because I don't want to be sitting in my vehicle when suspect is stopped a couple of car lengths in front of me and she's armed and she's already killed a police officer. James is a couple of cars in front of me. So as I'm saying we're stopped... I remember seeing this woman running past my passenger side window. And I was like, who the fuck is that? (laughs) Who is hanging out up here? Just hanging out. Right. Like, where'd she come from? And then I remember James had a ride along today. And he was saying, get to safety, get to the back of all these cars. And so she's booking to get past all of us. But I remember it was one of those, what the fuck was that? So where we came to a stop was this cleared off logging landing. And I remember looking uphill out my driver's side and there were huge stumps everywhere. I was like, well, we've got good cover up here. So stumps that are tall enough for you to stand behind? Oh, yeah. Oh. Like old growth timber, big stumps, wide, like you could fit two or three cops behind them. Now, is there a point where as you are getting to those stumps that you don't have cover and she could shoot you? Yeah. But she's in front of me. So for her to shoot me, say she's facing forward, she's facing 12 o'clock, right? She'd have to shoot at about 7 or 8 o'clock from her position to hit us. So she hasn't gotten out of the car. She hasn't. She's just sitting in the driver's seat. And you got to remember, there's a handful of cops that are with us. Still no compliance. We're giving commands. At this point, we've just set up a perimeter around the vehicle. We're trying to get her to comply. Cabby. Every minute that goes by, another police officer shows up. My understanding at the end of this is a tow truck driver who was in the area counted 82 police vehicles leaving that mountain. Wow. I remember hearing that there was a trooper from two hours north who had made it down there. I mean, people from every adjoining county came to our aid on that pursuit. And I got a great vantage point where... Basically, the only part of me that was visible to her was the top half of my head. I'm looking down over my gun, over the edge of this stump. I've got plenty of wood in front of me. I'm comfortable that I'm safe. For me to use deadly force on somebody, I have to feel that my life or a third party, their life is in immediate danger of serious physical injury or death. That's the threshold. And you never have. I've never shot anybody. I've never discharged my gun on duty ever. And I remember sitting there, my finger on the trigger, which my finger's only gone to the trigger a few times in my career. And my finger was on the trigger. And I remember looking down into this car saying, if I see any gun, I'm going to have to shoot this person. She's going to do something that causes us to shoot her. Like she's going to point the gun at one of us. And suspect yells, I've got a baby in the car next to me. Well, that changes things for me. And it changed things for everybody else up there, too. And that brought my trigger finger back off the trigger. I'm not going to shoot into a car knowing or not knowing even the question that there's a baby inside that car. And that began a two-hour standoff on that logging landing. Good grief. And Dan, where are you at this point? I probably arrived 
a minute and a half, three minutes of the end of this pursuit. I had gained a lot of ground. That's amazing. When I arrived, I think I was probably 10 cars back. This is a really narrow, it's 10 feet wide, the road. Yeah, there were no three-point turns on that road. You would have gone off the side. Yeah. So this road is 10 feet wide, and there are tree branches hanging over, so your car's taking a beating. I remember one guy's light bar had gotten ripped off from one of the trees. It hit his light bar and just ripped the light bar off. That's a memo. That is a memo. (laughs) That's a big memo. Those are expensive. And when I stopped my car and I got out, the first person I saw was Dave and saw that he had bought a lot of real estate. What do you mean? From where his car was, for him to get up to that stump, he had to cover about 40 feet with no cover. And he gained a lot of ground and he got perfect cover. The stump was enormous. And I grabbed my rifle and took off running. I just pulled up next to him and put my rifle down on that stump and had an aim point on my rifle. What's that? An aim point is an optic holographic sight, little red dot. Wherever that red dot is, is where the bullet goes. And I put that aim point at the only thing that I could see, which was the side of her head. And I looked over at Dave and I said, are you all right? I remember looking over, kind of having the first thought of, the fuck are you doing here? Like, I just heard you on the radio, way down there, back in the city. And I remember Dan said, I just did CPR on that officer. And I already knew that because I'd heard it on the radio. I felt bad for Dan because I heard it in his voice on the radio. And I know. I don't know exactly what he's going through, but I've got a pretty good idea. And I felt it. And it was business up there. Like, let's get this done the right way. Still giving commands. She's still talking. Still not compliant. You know, we're telling her to show her hands and everything. And she would show one hand out the window and it was waving around. A lot of officers recognize that that's a distraction. Look at this hand while I'm doing something with this hand over here. And we can't see that other hand. And we already know she's got a gun. Right. Now, Christy, while all this is happening on a remote logging road up a mountain, you're still at home waiting for Chris to arrive so you all can go on this family bike ride. At what point did you become aware of what had happened? So, uh, sitting on the back deck, he's now late. He was supposed to be home around four. I'm feeding the girls, so they're taken care of. They were four and 11 at the time. And the phone rings, my house phone, my landline. And I got up to go answer it. And a female who I did not know says, is Chris home? And I said, no. And she's hysterical. Is Chris there? Is Chris there? There's something going on. There's something going on. And she's hysterical. And then she started to say something about a motors. And just then I looked out my side window and I saw two officers who are friends of the window. And at first I was like, oh, my friends are here, you know, not even thinking. So they come around the back and they go on the deck and one officer hangs back with the girls and the other one comes to the door and I said, hey, and then it's like slow motion. This lady, whoever it was, who had just said things that got me confused and I had no TV on or, you know, so I had no clue. And then my friend says to me, I got to talk to you. And I just ran. I ran into the kitchen and he stopped me and my hands were in my face because I didn't want to hear the words. And he said, he's gone. And I said, I can't live without him. And he said, we'll be here for you. And I said, what am I going to do with the girls? They're going to be destroyed. And he said, we will help you. And I just fell apart. This concludes part one of Kilcullen 248, End of Watch. 
Part 2 is available right now, right here. We thank you for listening. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Logan Heftel, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor and The Real Nick Smitty. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soren Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. And join the Small Town fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at smalltowndicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you.